0: you stand? And actually what I want to do is I want to get a running start into to chapter 4. I want to read from Ruth beginning in chapter 3, verse 7. I talked about this last week. We kind of jogged through it last week. We're going to go through it again because it leads us into chapter 4. So I'm going to read from Ruth chapter 3 and verse 7 and go through, uh, for the most part, through Ruth 4, 1. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> Ruth's 3, 7. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she, that is Ruth, came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned to himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Verse 11, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning, verse 18. Then this is Naomi said to Ruth, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out for the man that is Boaz will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Verse 1 of chapter 4, now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. So Lord, we, again, we know our need for a good spiritual diet of your word. And Lord, we love the word. We understand it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We know it's a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. We know, Lord, that in your word, it's what keeps us from sin. It strengthens us. It feeds us. And so we want, Lord, this morning, please give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Lord, help us to build our lives on the foundation of not just hearing, but then doing the things that you have commanded us, that you've given to us in your word. As we're talking about your redeeming love this morning, how thankful we are that you love us, that you have our best in mind. And that, Lord, the things that you're doing in our lives, whether it's, it's a, a, a comforting or a rebuking, either way, Lord, you, we know that you love us and whom the Lord loves. He chastens, teaches. So we're all ears and we're all heart this morning. Please bless the word that I prepared. Break it fresh and feed us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 7, we just read that, that Ruth came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And then in verse 9, Ruth's saying to Boaz, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. So what Ruth is is doing is not immoral. And there are some even commentators that would suggest that. This is a ceremonial way of putting herself in a place of submission. She's requesting his love and protection, no longer as a poor gleaner, a poor reaper in his fields, but now she's requesting his hand in marriage as as his her husband or she as his wife and because of that can we understand something this is beautiful and it's pure that's what it is it's god gave us this story to show us the beauty and the purity of redeeming love and so ruth was requesting of boaz to take her under his wing take her as his wife Take her to protect her. Take her to care for her. Take her to provide for her. What? First of all, to raise up that which was dead. The family name that it would continue. Secondly, take me under your wing to redeem back that which was lost. Which would have been the family property, the land. And then finally, she's saying, take me under your wing. Receive me to yourself. As one whom you love, and take me as your wife and as your family. It's beautiful. And so, this is a story that I heard from my pastor several years ago that I wanted to read to you because it, I think it captures beautifully this whole picture that we're seeing of redeeming love. A little boy made a gingerbread man of his very own. He was no sooner done making him when his gingerbread man jumped up, jumped off the table, and began to run across the floor saying, Run, 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 as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. Well, that little boy did run out the door and down through their front yard to catch his gingerbread man. And as the gingerbread man ran through the front gate, he yelled back, Run, 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 as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. And as he ran through the neighborhood and into town, his voice grew fainter and fainter as he gained distance from the little boy. Run, 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 as fast as you can. You can't catch me, I'm the gingerbread man. Finally, the little boy, no longer able to keep up or keep running, stopped, returned home with his gingerbread man's voice, echoing in his sad mind, Run, run, run as fast as you can, you can't catch me, I'm the gingerbread man. The next day, as he's looking for his gingerbread man, the little boy walked past the town bakery, and lo and behold, there in the glass case with the donuts and cookies was his gingerbread man. He hurried in, all excited, And said to the baker, may I please have the gingerbread man? It will cost you 75 cents. Oh, but you don't understand, sir. That's my gingerbread man. He ran away from me yesterday. The baker leaned over the counter and said to him, little boy, the gingerbread man costs 75 cents. And so the little boy went home, emptied out his piggy bank, ran back to the bakery. And he laid his 75 cents on the counter. And the man handed him the gingerbread man. The little boy said, now you are really mine. First I created you. And now I bought you. That's redemption. Redeem is to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. So John Wolver says this. Quote. The work of redemption was accomplished by Christ in his death on the cross. And has in view the payment of the price demanded by a holy God. For the deliverance of the believer from the bondage and burden of sin, In redemption, the sinner is set free from his condemnation and slavery to sin, unquote. Would you say amen? In other words, this story is all about Jesus. Our hero is Jesus. God gives us these pictures into his heart in the stories that we read, the historic stories we read in the Bible of how he loves us and redeems us by his blood. Redeem means to pay off by exchange. It's the great exchange that takes place. Timothy Keller said this, Jesus took the tree of life, the tree of death, so that you could have the tree of life, unquote. C.S. Lewis said this, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God, unquote. That's redemption. That's what Jesus accomplished for us. Lee Strobel said this, Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. I say, amen. <laughs> Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. once you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we we're dead in trespasses, trespasses made us alive together in Christ. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. Are you alive this morning? Yes. Only by the Spirit of God can we be born again and have this whole thing accomplished in our lives, what God already provided for in our redemption. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to riches of His grace. Ephesians, again, 1 In him, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God said, you're mine. He, he owns me, who is the guarantee of our inheritance to the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. God says, I created you. Now I bought you. You're mine. You're really mine through redemption. So as we looked at the, this story, we're going to wrap up this, this morning. We start at Ruth in chapter 1, remembering, redeeming love. Chapter 2, understanding, redeeming love. Chapter 3, trusting, redeeming love. This morning, his redeeming love. So the book of Ruth is an epic narrative that shows us that God is at work in the normal everyday events of life in loving people to wholeness and freedom. That's our God. It's love story is a message of hope to any who feel hopeless, helpless and hurting. It's remembering, understanding, and trusting His redeeming love. So, three things I want to give you this morning. We'll go back to this slide just like we have been. First of all, He claims her for Himself. Jesus claims us for Himself. Secondly, He confirms her as His own. Jesus confirms us as His own. Purchased. Third, he celebrates her becoming his bride. Can I hear an amen? Jesus celebrates this whole thing that's going to be taking place called the marriage supper. Lamp. We are the bride of Christ as those redeemed by him and then become a part of his church. And so he claims her for himself. This love is, very, is a willing love. It's not forced. God is love. And it's, he willingly claims us for himself. So in verse 1, Boaz went up to the gate. Now, he claims her, first of all, publicly. In the gate, the gate of the city, he went up openly. In fact, I think he'd been there a few times, you know, looking at the records. Finding out who's, what about this, this uh, closer of kin. Now, these were massive wooden doors. Many times covered with metal that hung in the city wall. So they were closed at night. And anyone that's in the fields would come into the city at night, close the gates where they would sleep. It would be a protective place. These gates were the center of public life. Most people would pass through the gates every day. So there's Boaz there. And as this near kinsman comes, he says, excuse me, uh, Mr. No Name, (laughs) because we never get his name. He says, friend. So he's waiting at the gate for this guy to come by. Now, I was reminded of Saul of Tarsus. Remember Saul of Tarsus, this Hebrew, the Hebrews, the Pharisee, the Pharisees, who hated Christianity, hated Christians. He gets saved. He shows up. And what do they want to do? They want to, the Jews want to kill him. So what do they do? They go down to the gates, and they're watching for Saul. So what do they do? They let him down through a basket on the wall. Pretty, pretty inventive, I think. So here, if you want to find someone, go to the gates. And wait. And so that's what they're doing. Now, ma- much personal business was transacted in the gate or the gates. Many public meetings and assemblies were taking place at the gates. In fact, they had many gates had rooms where you could go in to have meetings right there at the gates. Kings held public audiences at the gate. David did it. Jehoshaphat did it and many others. Now, Another thing that happened at the gates were many prophets preached their messages in the gates. Jeremiah was told that by the Lord. In Jeremiah 17, Thus the Lord said to me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people and say to them, Hear the word of the Lord. So these gates were teeming with business stuff and meetings. Legal procedures were convened at the gate. They were, in a sense, Courtrooms that were open to listen to what's going on. So that's what we have in the gates. He claims her publicly. But secondly, he claims her lawfully. He goes, verse 2, he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Now, elders, it literally means one with a beard. So as I look at our culture today, there are a lot of elders going around, more than I ever have seen before. <laughs> but what they're, they're older. They've exer- they exercise important roles, these elders. Judicial, political, and in all periods of Israel's history, you find elders. So they're the rulers. They're the ones making decisions. Judicial matters were resolved with these men who had earned that position, earned the respect of the people. Ten elders. Now, ten became a significant number. It already was in a marriage benediction. Ten. Ten. But also, as the synagogues came into place, ten men were required for a quorum in a synagogue meeting. So here he says there's ten men of the elders. They were, these elders were to judge righteously according to God's law. You'll hope that's what's going on in our government. I don't know if you've given up hope yet, but I have many times. <laughs> in Deuteronomy he said, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord God gives you, they shall judge the people with just judgment. Deuteronomy 25. Now here's, we looked at this last week. I just wanted to run through it again with you. Here is the leveret marriage law that took place in the gates. If a man, this is what we're seeing in this book of Ruth. If man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty the kinsman redeemer, of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has sandal removed. We'll see this in our study this morning. So this, this whole, the elders were to judge righteously. This, it, when you're with the elders, you're going on record. This is what's happening lawfully. Now, it was considered a high honor to sit with the elders. Unfortunately, as with our nation, so with all men in authority, many times the elders are corrupted by their pride for power. And that happened in Israel. And God had to call them out many times. The leaders that were to be judging righteously weren't. That's just what happens with sinful men. So he claims her publicly. He claims her lawfully. But he also claims her, as I shared, willingly. So, verse 3, he said to the, and he, then he said to the close relative, Naomi, has, has, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So here it is, this willing if you want to do it, you can. If you don't, I want to. I'm willing. In fact, I would say Paul's he's sort of hiding. I that I want I hope you don't do it. But here it is, you have that right. And so this close relative had the legal right Of redemption. Nobody could take that from him. He had the first right of refusal with this choice. The choice is to buy back what was lost. The land. But secondly. Is to raise up that which was dead. A person. So Boaz had a love that was all in. Though Boaz had a legitimate way out. He could have chose. I don't want to do that. I'm not even going to go talk about it. You just do it. So verse 5, then Boaz said, now, <laughs> I, this, is a pl- this is no doubt in my mind all planned by Boaz. Buy the land. Oh, but hold on a second. That's not all. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So basically what he's saying here, man, the property would be great because I'd be richer. But if I take Ruth, I'm going to be ruined, is what he's saying. So that word ruined means endanger, spoil, or damage his own inheritance, his own estate. So in his mind, he's saying, that's not a good deal. I don't want to do that because... If it was just Naomi, she's past childbirth. I don't have to worry about that. But with Ruth, she's gonna have a son, and then part of my inheritance to become his. And he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to take that risk. But let me say this to you to Boaz, no matter what the risk, he was there because of his love for her. He was gonna pay what, he was gonna pay the price, whatever it was. And that's how he looked at it. It wasn't too risky, it was worth the sacrifice. Now, this blows my mind when I think of the Lord's love for me. That I was worth the sacrifice. He so loved you and me that it was worth paying the price. In fact, I would say it was worth the risk. Because there are many that don't turn. There are many that don't want that. Many are called, but few are chosen in that sense. So when I think of Jesus claiming me for himself... He redeems me and reconciles me to God. He sold all that he had to purchase me and you. To redeem, he sold all that he had. Now, in chapter 2, we looked at this. There are three key words. Field, favor, and family in Ruth chapter 2. And they are dispersed throughout All of that chapter and only that chapter except for one instance where the field is outside chapter 2. It's in chapter 4. The key word in chapter 4 is redeem. So chapter 4, by the field. Now here I'll give you an interesting what I believe on a parable of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, in the, we, in the parable of the tares, just four verses before that, Jesus said, The field is the world. So someone purchased the field because of a treasure hidden in it. It blows my mind. What's the field? The world. Who's the treasure? His church. I mean, it's just incredible. That he purchased the field to obtain the treasure. Paul said, I'm going to buy that field because with the field comes my my wife, the one I love. Now, John chapter 1. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of what? The world. 2 Corinthians 5.19 won't be up there. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin and, not but, because we all sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now note, and he himself is the propitiation the substitute sacrifice for whose sins? Our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus' death on the cross was God's payment for the world to be redeemed and everyone in it. It was sufficient for that. And so as the kinsman redeemer, he sold all that he had. Secondly, he met all the requirements. He must be a near kinsman. He must be a close relative. He must be, in this case, as far as Jesus is concerned, human. He is the infinite God-man. The incarnation was necessary if he was going to be our kinsman redeemer. He had to be human. And so we read in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. Notice, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. This redemptive work that he did for us. Again, this won't be up there, but Philippians chapter 2, many of you know it very well. We read there that Christ Jesus, being God, became human. He became in the likeness of men. He was found in appearance as a man and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The cross was the price he was paying, but he had to be human. Hebrews chapter 2. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death, he might destroy him with the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He died as human, a human being for our sin. I'm getting excited. It's so, it's so incredibly powerful. He must also be free to pay the price of redemption. And so I'll give you a few verses here again. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Not himself, for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews chapter 4. Back. Back one. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Next. Who committed no sin, nor is deceit found in his mouth, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. 1 John chapter 3, and you know he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Listen, he had to be free of sin. So he knew no sin, he was without sin, he committed no sin, and in him there is no sin. Market. M A R K I T. Market. He must also be able to pay the price of redemption. And so we read in Galatians chapter 3 Christ has redeemed us from the curse law. How? By becoming a curse for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus who made a little lower than the angels. We talked about this for the suffering of death. Notice, paying the price, able to do that, then the angels uh, crowned with glory now that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. He's able. First, first Peter, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your former manner of conduct, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without spot and without blemish. He could pay the price for us because he didn't have to pay it for himself. And then here's the final one. He must be willing. The king's been redeemed. He must be willing. And so we read in John chapter 10, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. Wow. You'll notice now what he says. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it. This command I received from my father. In other words, the father wasn't forcing him. God gave him the choice, the father. And so when he's in the garden... Next one, please. And he was drawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. We're in holy ground, brothers. Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In beautiful submission. The Godhead is the perfection of love demonstrated in submission and obedience. It's beautiful. Jesus was willing to pay the price. Submitting to the will of the Father and performing the most loving thing that we can ever identify with. It's God's love for us through Jesus' sacrifice. Secondly, he confirms her as his own, verses 7 through 12. This is a, we're going to talk about witness. It's a love that witnesses it. So, first of all, It's a confirmation, this is important, in Israel. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, we read this in Deuteronomy, and this was a confirmation, notice, in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, so he took off his sandal. Boaz closes the deal. But listen, it's Jewish. It's all Jewish. It's in Israel. So receiving the sandal meant the transferring of the land. It's a picture of now he has the shoes to walk on his own land. He has the right now to walk on his own property. So Boaz is a Jewish man acting out of love for Ruth, a Gentile woman. A Moabite. In fact, even the Moabite, God God said they shouldn't be in Israel. Now, for Boaz, she was worth any price, whatever it might be. Now he's got the sandal. Now he's walking on the land, and with the land comes his wife. So, as a witness, first of all, to the purchase of the land, done publicly, lawfully, and willingly. And Boaz said to the elders of the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought all that was Elimelech's. It's a witness also to what he had acquired and to what was required. Verse 10, moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at, at the gate. You are witnesses again this day. There's a witness to this whole thing. And then third, another one in verse 11 and 12, a witness to what was desired out of this, which is a house blessed by the Lord. So all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. May it be like that, what God did through Rachel and Leah and if you remember Rachel was barren for a long time so Ruth and Moab the desire for Boaz to prosper in the land of Beth, in Bethlehem in Ephrathah two were, two names for the same place verse 12 may again your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah Because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So let the house of Perez. Now the house of Perez are the descendants of Judah. This is teeming with Jewish. It's Israel. Now we're going to come back to Perez in a moment. How does Jesus confirm his ownership? Listen, with indisputable witness. Indisputable. These witnesses came, listen, through the house of Israel, through the house of Judah. The blessings of God flow through Israel, through the Jews. It's the witness of the Jewish scriptures, God's word. Jesus said, don't think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. Luke 24, 44, This is on the road to Emmaus after Jesus risen from the dead. These two guys are walking, despairing. We thought he was the one who was going to, you know, redeem Israel. Then he said to them, Jesus, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms about what? Concerning me. Don't you love the Word of God? It is so incredibly powerful. But listen, God gave us these things through Israel, Abraham, David, all the prophets. And you read, those, you read these books and you realize we have an absolutely amazing, redeeming God. Through the book of Acts, Acts 28, 23, this is Paul at the very end of the book of Acts. He's in prison in Rome. And so there come, many came to Paul at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of what? The kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. This witness comes through the house of Israel, through the house of Judah, through the Jewish nation. The witness is not only of the Jewish scriptures, but also the witness of the Jewish Savior. When Jesus came, the witness that he gave, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe what I'm doing. And so we read in John 10, 25, Jesus answered him, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do, my Father's name, they will bear witness of me. What did Jesus do? You name it. In fact, uh, at the end of John's book, he said, and there are many other things that Jesus did which... If they're written one by one, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be care, that we could take it. John 14, believe me that I am in the father and the father me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And then Jesus in John 15, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. They saw what Jesus The witness was so clear, profoundly, powerfully clear, and that they saw it all, and they said, I don't want anything to do with it. In fact, Jesus told a story about the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus is taken to, the, to the Abraham's bosom, and the rich man winds up in, in hell. And you get this drawn-back picture. And the guy that's in torment there in Hades says, Lord, just send someone back from the dead and they'll believe. And Jesus said, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, neither will they believe the one rise from the dead. He's talking about himself, which is the final witness, is the resurrection. Acts 4.33, the church with great power and the apostles gave witness to what? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Listen, as we're testifying this witness of the resurrection, there's great power and there's great grace. Finally, he celebrates her becoming his bride. This day is beyond anything they would have ever imagined when they came back from Moab. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So this love story began with a funeral. It's now celebrating a wedding. It began with death. It's now celebrating new life. Then the, so the, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. May his name be famous in Israel. Talking about Boaz and this marriage now. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. You have the love of a mother and a child. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom. They came to, to nurse him. I mean, you know what this is? This is the love of a grandma. There's no better love than a grandma's love. And it just exudes with this celebration of what God did. Now it was a story also of despair. But now it's a celebration of hope. Also, the neighbor women came, uh, gave him a name saying, now, why did they name him? I'm not sure, but I'm telling you, they're all around. they got this big, well, they got a little home group going on. <laughs> and here's Obed. Oh, well, what are we going to name? Well, I think this. And they came up with this name, Obed, which means servant worshiper. Servant worshiper. And then he says, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Amenadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. And I think that word Salmon means fisherman. I'm kidding. Um, salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Listen. The Old Testament is a story of names and names and names and names. In fact, in our prayer meeting on, on uh, Saturday morning, we've been reading through the Bible, we got to First Chronicles. Now, have you ever read First Chronicles? The first nine chapters are nothing but names, names, names. So what do we do with this? Well, we're going to pick out the nuggets, which we started yesterday. But name after name. But listen, it all centers on one name. And that's the name of Jesus. All the names, the many, many names, we are thankful to see God's plan. But we celebrate the one at the end of the line, if you will, and that is Jesus. So Perez is the son that came from a very racy story found in Genesis 38. Perez is the bastard son of Judah through Tamar. Perez takes his place in the lineage that will be followed to the Messiah. So the line of David is the line to Jesse. Jesus is the line of the tribe of what? Judah. So it just speaks of the incredible grace of God through which he brings, the Jesus, brings Jesus, the Messiah, the sinless one, the Holy, the Lamb of God. Through failing, faulting sinners, he did it. And so there are four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. These four include a Canaanite woman named Tamar, Judah and Tamar, a harlot named Rahab, a Moabite Gentile foreigner named Ruth, and then finally, a not unwilling adulteress named Bathsheba. Friends, there is no other way he could have done it. He did this whole thing because he can, is able, and willing, and does it for you and for me. The great love story, a child unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's the way by which God redeems a world of lost people by paying the price to purchase our freedom and then set his seal upon us as his bride. And so I am my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. Jesus claimed me for himself publicly, lawfully, and willingly on the cross. Jesus confirms that I am his own by sending his spirit. And in the spirit of God, I'm born again, sealed for redemption. And then through his spirit, he speaks to me in his word. Confirming his choice. I am his. And then Jesus, listen, he's going to celebrate with us. It's coming. The marriage supper of the Lamb. May I read to you in the book of Revelation, verse chapter 19? And I heard John the, the apostle. I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. As the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let, let us be glad and rejoice. Let's celebrate and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Are you ready? You see, and he says there, And it was given to her, granted, granted to her to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. As God is conforming us into the image of Christ, as he's washing us clean by his word, and as we're becoming more and more like him, it's just all preparation for that great marriage feast of the Lamb. It's ours. By grace through faith. Are you with me? Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.